Before we start the show, I just wanted to let you know that the Modern Manhood Podcast has a Patreon page. You can support me in making this podcast and trying to get the guests and trying to get the gear and trying to get some time to actually do the stuff that I do, but just throwing in a couple of dollars. All you need to do is go to patreon.com slash modernmanpod, and then you can put in some money. You can put in two bucks a month. You can put in five bucks a month, whatever. Less than a cup of coffee in most places, in Starbucks especially. Um, you can support this podcast and the stuff that I do here at the Modern Manhood Podcast. And hopefully it'll bring you some other things too. I am working on some new ventures, working on a website, uh, working on other things that will try to get more news about masculinity and healthy masculinity in Edmonton and outside of it. So go to patreon.com slash Understanding the many different views of masculinity in the modern world. My name is Serena Vijegas, and this is the Modern Manhood Podcast. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Modern Manhood Podcast. We have a lot going on today. We have an interview first with Alan Featherstone. But before I start all that, I really wanted to talk about one specific word cocksucker that's the word that ryan getzlaff of the anaheim ducks of the nhl hockey league got caught saying getzlaff was fined ten thousand dollars for what the nhl called an inappropriate comment specifically directed at an nhl official the nhl also indirectly said that this was a homophobic slur now they didn't say it in the onset of the actual fine but a lot of people took it to mean that way people like tsn people like sportsnet the general media. Now, Getzlaff, for his part, when asked about the incident, said that it was, quote-unquote, tough to see someone refer to it as a homophobic slur. I didn't mean it in that matter in any way. Now, to me, that in itself is the problem. Cocksucker is not only a homophobic slur, it's also a misogynistic insult. But the word cocksucker used as an insult means that you're not a straight male. Because a straight male would not suck cock. So, you're either a gay male, or a woman, or a bisexual person, or any other part of the spectrum except for a straight male. Cocksucker as an insult is a way where males police each other. Because in these hockey players' eyes, Ward is more manly than a straight male. And for Getzlaff not to think this is a problem or a slur, is because this is so ingrained in hockey culture. He threw it out like it was nothing and sounded shocked that it would be considered homophobic. Now, do I think Getzlaff is homophobic? I don't know him well enough to make that judgment. But do I think the NHL and hockey culture is homophobic or misogynistic? Well, if hockey players don't think cocksucker is a slur of some kind, then yeah, I do. And I think that's the reason why the NHL needs to be stricter on this. And players need to take a little bit of responsibility, a little bit of onus on this, and speak out against this language. No, the NHL has come up with things like the Pride Tape or You Can Play, and which is run by Patrick Burke, one of the sons of Brian Burke. Uh, and they think that those commercials and things will change the culture. But if this is still what's going on in the NHL, do you think the culture is actually going to change? Think about it. Tell me what you guys think about Get Slapped. Think about. Tell me what you think of the word cocksucker. And really, it has a lot to do with masculinity and then the way males patrol and police each other. Remember, Getzlaff said this as an insult, said it to a ref, said it to another male. What was his intentions of that word? Let me know. 
Now, for today's guest. Alan Featherstone's gone through his own journey of understanding and how to be a proper man and a human being. And it took him a long struggle with addictions, with hard drugs, then alcohol to understand what he has to do in his journey. Now, in this interview, you can see that he's still on this journey, one that he's willing to share with anyone who will listen, specifically on his podcast, The Featherstone. You can hear in this interview that he's working to better himself, and some days he wins, and some days he loses. You can also tell that he wants to be more at peace with himself, spiritually, and with his wife, and with his daughter. I was very lucky to sit down with Alan and be able to ask him about his story, his past vices, the events that led up to this, his near-death experiences, and how he copes today. A word of warning to the listeners, we do talk about alcohol addictions, hard drugs, and some of the subject matter could be triggering. So, Alan is one of the kindest souls you'll ever meet, and a true example of a man on a journey to wellness. I hope you enjoy my talk with Alan Featherstone. Alan, thanks so much for, for being on the podcast today. This is uh, a wonderful surprise, and I'm, I'm happy that you can do this. Thanks for having me, Herman. Yeah. I really appreciate it. What brought you to, well, what brought you to contact me, and what brought you to, like, asking about questions about masculinity for yourself? Oh, my goodness. Well, I was actually just on a podcast hunt. To be perfectly honest, I wasn't looking for a manhood podcast, mm-hmm. but uh, I was searching out podcasts in uh, here in Edmonton, Alberta, looking for local ones, and the title of yours jumped out at me, and I thought... Yeah, what was uh, your first thoughts? My first thought was that I've got a 50-50 shot of this either being <laughs> really good or just a pile of garbage. I didn't ask you if I can swear on your show. You can totally swear. It's all okay, good. just making sure. <laughs> It's all good. It's all good. People, they always ask that question and they're like, it's always right after they swore. (laughs) Yeah, I almost did that. (laughs) It's all good. You can do it. Yeah. So I figured it would either be like, uh, come at me, bro podcast (laughs) or, or something that was actually exploring masculinity, Mm -hmm. which I find very interesting. And congratulations, by the way, on Joseph Gelfer on your show. Oh, yeah. Like, how cool, cool was that? Yeah. Super cool to have <laughs> him on. It was really, he he's one of the people that really, um, you know, does a, helps me a lot with the stuff that I do. And, like, his view of masculinity, I think, is really important. Um, so, yeah, I was super happy to have him on. He's, like, called from France. It was pretty sweet. Yeah, man. Did you did you listen to it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I did listened he, to all of your shows. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Did you, uh, what, is there any specific that you liked from that specific episode? Because I think that's the one that really informs a lot of what I do. Oh, well, I, I mean, you had sent me articles mm-hmm. by uh, Dr. Gelfer before. He is a doctor, right? Yes. Yes. And, um, His tagline is Dr. Joseph Gelfer, so I really hope he's a doctor. <laughs> well, yeah, <you> never know. <laughs> it's just Dr. Hook. and Never mind. And so I had looked through his five stages of masculinity before and mm-hmm. found it very interesting. And I put myself at about a 3.7. 3.7, okay. <laughs> Pretty good. Pretty good. Um, manhood is, has been... A big question mark for me my whole life. I mean, I I spent a lot of time being a tough guy because I was so shit scared of the world that I just had to fight it, I guess, when it comes right down to it. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm finding now in my old age, (laughs) looking back. Yeah. So, yeah, because I mentioned, I remember you mentioning this in your, when we did your podcast, um, you, you mentioned how you had a perception or you had this perception of yourself being this tough guy 
Mm. You had to kind of climb out of it. As well as as a young man, I I felt very weak, very weak. I I was I was picked on through elementary school and um, always thinking that it was a problem with me. And honestly, looking back on it, I don't think I was bullied nearly as much as I thought I was being bullied. Then it was it was really a symptom of my anxiety and depression because that hit me at a very young age, and so I I've always had a very low opinion of myself and in in feeling so weak i mean i got to a point where right around junior high i just started fighting back and i didn't stop for 15 years mm-hmm. well, i definitely thought that uh that being a man was being tough mm-hmm. able to take anything never to cry oh my i still just absolutely hate crying I'm I'm working on it, but yeah, um, that's fair. Yeah, and and you know, and and I got involved very deeply because of my myriad mental illness. Is that uh, I got very deep into drugs and and alcohol at a fairly young age. You know, like I moved out on my own when I was fifteen. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I got got very deep into the drug world. Which, uh, you know, wouldn't really help your state of mind, but it definitely encouraged that tough guy attitude, right? For sure. I mean, it just had to, I had to ramp it up a lot. Yeah. Because if someone thought you were weak, then they'd, they'd try and kill you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If when, once you get deep enough, you're not just going to take a beating, like somebody's going to shoot you or stab you. So you had to look as tough as humanly possible. And I think that happens to a lot of guys where they put on the, you know, we t- I talk about masks a lot. You put on this mask mm-hmm. of other masculinity or for manhood, and they put on this persona of this either this tough guy or something else. Yeah. Um, and it's funny because addictions is a very common theme. Um, what what were some of the thinking that you had when you were when you were on this um, you know addicted to drugs or stuff like mm-hmm. that? Or is there anything that you kind of clicked on you to, to to stop that behavior? Well, what happened was I I got ripped off at one point and it was it was by a girl and I didn't know how to deal with that. I, I knew exactly what I would do if it was a guy, but I didn't know how to deal with that. So I ended up going back to the, a person that I owed a lot of money to and a few days later I was kidnapped. Oh, okay. And tortured for four and a half days which if you don't know is something that happens a lot in the drug world they call it getting sat on huh. i did not know this it does it happens quite a lot mm-hmm. in in the hard drug world mm-hmm. yeah af- after that happened i i didn't have the stomach anymore it really kind of shattered my brain that they had injected me with drugs and then did all sorts of things to me so, I mean, some of it is even hazy because of, like, they injected me with, with methamphetamine, which, I mean, I had never done that before, and it was disgusting. But, uh, yeah, so that really just, it kind of shattered me. And uh, I was I was going to kill myself, but I ended up going home to my mom's house. And... Yeah, this is something that I have haven't talked about on my own show, and wouldn't actually. It's 
because it uh, my show I I have my show because it's about other people it's not about me mm-hmm. I mean I I am prolific on my on my social medias talking about mental illness and you are and, and my and basically my journey but that's not what my show is about right so it's kind of weird but yeah yeah no I well I appreciate the candor it's this is um I'm just hearing this and I'm like man how much more tough tough that must be that's that tough to that road to the recovery. Well, honestly, getting off the hard drugs wasn't that tough because I just kept drinking. So I just became an alcoholic. I managed, and I was, I was a fairly high-functioning alcoholic until about two years ago, probably. Mm-hmm. I'm making weird sounds with my mouth. And That's okay. <laughs> um, yeah, it was, about, it was about two years ago the booze stopped working. And I, I was even in a mindset that I was medicating, you know, because uh, I have crippling social anxiety. Mm-hmm. If I had my druthers, I'd never leave my house. And that's even more so since I quit drinking. And like, it's really... The, the booze and the drugs masked a lot of my symptoms. They exacerbated some, but, like, the social anxiety went out the window once I had a few drinks in me. It could be, yeah. it could be the life of the party. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. A lot of people, yeah. Yeah, a lot of people. Yeah. You know, and get... Be able to talk more and... I would be loud as all hell and embarrass my wife towards the end because I got to a point where I was just getting hammered at every social function we went to. Mm-hmm. I was showing up at little kids' birthday parties, bringing a case of beer mm. for, for the parents. Right, right. right. And but was... really, how good does that look? Mm-hmm. And uh, sorry, I'm just going to kill this phone. Oh, no, it's all good. Don't worry, yeah. you can edit this stuff out. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and... Yeah, you know, I, I would spend hours, hours just sitting on my deck, smoking cigarettes and drinking beer. And I didn't, it's not that I didn't know there was anything wrong with it. Because, like, my dad's been sober for 26 years. And so every once in a while, he would kind of try and give me a nudge. And, a little nudge, yeah. Yeah. No, son, maybe, are you sure you're not an alcoholic? He, <laughs> he said to me once, and I said, of course I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> So you knew. Uh, you oh, knew. yeah. Okay. Oh, I knew. Okay. I just didn't care mm-hmm. because it made me feel better. About two years ago, I started on antidepressants and like, drinking on them is, yeah. It, not, I mean, it's not the best well, thing. I mean, the psychiatrist that I talked to said that they formulate them knowing that like more than half the people that they tell not to drink on them are going to drink on them, which was basically just giving me permission to keep yeah. drinking. Yeah. Right? <laughs> So, you know, I made lots of deals with my wife, you know, I'll only have two a day, but I mean, those rules wouldn't apply on the weekend. So mm-hmm. I'm just waiting for noon so I could crack a beer, and, but then I'd drink till two or three o'clock in the morning mm-hmm. and I wasn't spending time with my wife. I wasn't spending time with my little girl. If they wanted to hang out with me, they could come sit on the deck, mm-hmm. watch me drink, I guess. And I don't, I like now I don't see how I didn't see any problems with this, but at the time... I was like, this is just me. Yeah, you identified with it. Yeah. I'm a drinker. Yeah. This is what I do. If you don't like it, eh. Very self... Addiction is so self-centered. It is. It's it's unreal. Absolutely. And and so about about a year ago, <laughs> about a year ago, it all came to a head. Because my wife has been doing her master's through distance. And she has to go away for intensives for two and three weeks at a time. Which was grand for me because I could just get wasted the whole time she was gone, right? And I had a buddy over one night and uh, 
I was plastered and wiped out and hit our patio table and bent the leg. And I was trying to fix it, and I was way too drunk to even be attempting metal work, my dear gods. But uh, so I started to make it worse, and then I got angry, and I picked the thing up over my head and threw it off my deck, which probably would have been fine if it hadn't had a glass top. Yeah, and I have a very open yard, and I remember yelling at my neighbors to come over and drink with me that night, which wasn't really something I would normally do. I'd walk over and invite them over for a beer, but not like yelling across, across the street. street. Get over here. Nobody came. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure at the time you wondered why. You're like, why is nobody uh, yeah, coming? Because <laughs> yeah, I was tanked. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was trying to clean up the glass in my lawn that next morning. And my mother-in-law pulled up. She'd come over to water the plants. So I had to explain to her what had happened. And I stopped drinking that day. What was the realization? Was that was it a look of disappointment? or No, no, she was perfectly fine. Because okay. my mother-in-law is a wonderful lady and yeah. she would never want to make you feel bad about anything. Right. I was, I, it was the embarrassment. You know, I'm just about 38 years old mm-hmm. and I'm not 20. It might have been kind of funny if I was 20, but I'm not. I have a nine-year-old daughter. I thank God I didn't have her that weekend. But, you know, I, I and too, like I, I would be alone. I live in the country and I would be alone with my, with my daughter. And after she'd go to bed, I'd get slammed. Never thinking like, you know, what if something happens and I have to go to the hospital in the middle of the night that's, you know, 45 minutes from my door. And never even really thinking about things like that yeah like it was a dangerous situation really when it comes right down to it you know i talk to a lot of people a lot of guys specifically who have who suffer from addiction mm-hmm. um specifically with alcohol too and i think it's a very it's one of those addictions that feels kind of normalized sometimes oh it's very socially acceptable to be a drunk i mean as long as you're not going over the top yeah. and picking fights or being a complete asshole because you can be a little bit of an asshole in mm-hmm. public and people are just like ah he's at a few yeah exactly right and it's and it's it's in our culture as canadians we drink beer and watch hockey mm-hmm. it's like it's it's a totally it's culturally acceptable mm-hmm. to be a drunk mm-hmm. so when I mean, you pull, pull out a pull out a straw and snort a rail of coke off the table however people look at you kind of funny but to yeah. to me now there's no difference. My my the other part of my job is to talk to kids and mm-hmm. like when we talk when I talked about addictions and we always talk about like math and like cocaine. Whatever, yeah, I always mention like do the one thing that you're going to deal with the most is drinking. Yeah, is alcohol. Like that's like ninety eight percent of you are going to deal with some sort of weird peer pressure to drink or weird mm-hmm. peer pressure to do something stupid while you're drunk. Yeah. So I could imagine, like, I empathize a lot for people who suffer alcohol addiction. I think it's like, one, I think it's one of the hardest ones to break sometimes. Well, it is. It's because, I mean, you can't go to the corner store and buy a pack of heroin. Exactly. You know? Exactly. You can't. It's like almost everywhere, right? Yeah. 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 It's, it's permeate, it permeates our society. And, uh, like, that, and that's why I still struggle with it. Like, I, like, still, there's still, I, it's only been now again three weeks since I had my last drink. Mm. I I still haven't managed to completely sober up. I mm. it's been a long time since I got drunk last. Yeah. But you know, like I'll have a rough day. I'm feeling like shit. I don't want to go home yet. 
because I don't want to go home in a horrible mood to my wife and I'll stop and have a beer. Mm-hmm. And the whole time going, why are you doing this? But I still do it. And then I've got to go home and say, well, I stopped for a beer, honey. And, and my wife is a therapist. She, I mean, she doesn't come down on me for it. She says things like, well, I'm sorry you're in that place today, honey. Which just makes me feel even worse. It'd be so much better if she gave me shit. I mean, it's like when you're a kid and and your mom tells you she's disappointed in you. Because, I mean, and, and, and Nikki doesn't say that. She doesn't. In fact, I don't even feel that from her that she's disappointed in me. It's just, it's almost a neutral thing. Yeah. I don't know. Well, and then, but then if she'd pick a fight with me to give me a reason to go and get a six pack too, right? Exactly. And I think she knows that. She too, does right? know that. She does know that. Yeah, your wife must be something special because that that that's like one of the most empathetic responses that I've heard. You yeah. have no idea. Any other woman would have been gone a long time ago, <laughs> and she's she's my rock. Mm-hmm. Especially through this last year, since I don't don't have the uh, the booze to mask all the symptoms of my well now PTSD mm-hmm. and. And I've had severe depression and anxiety since I was a little kid. Like, my mom would say eight, which scares the shit out of me when I've got a nine-year-old man. Um, I know. I know. <laughs> yeah. I hear you. <laughs> I, uh, I went through this when I was, again, like, I'm talking to kids, and I'm like, you know, I I look at the stats of, like, from school-wide stuff of, like, the average of kids who identify themselves as being anxious or stressed out mm-hmm. or depressed and I think it's like one out of four. And that's people who identify. And those are just the ones who are identifying. Identify. I'm like, I can't even imagine for the ones that, that don't. Yeah. And I'm like, it's got to be higher. It's amazing to me um, what that does to a little mind. Um, but it, it's it's cool that we talk about it. And it's cool. I'm so yeah. happy that you talk about it too. Because I think that's like, I'm sure you'll have much more of an experience for your daughter when you when like when something that happens like that when oh she's... my goodness I, I i've i've actually sat her down because she has a problem talking about her feelings mm-hmm. and you've got to drag them out of her and i i've i've literally i literally sat her down one day and i said look you're nine dad's almost 40 are we gonna learn to talk about our feelings together because mm. i don't want you to have to learn when you're 40 and she kind of laughed but i think she's starting to get it that's great. And well, and school is so much different than it was when when we were kids. Totally. You know, like the first thing that she d- does in grade three when they go into the classroom is talk is like, "How are you feeling today?" And that kid knows m- more feelings than I have expressions for. Like she can name them off, <laughs> right? She can really describe how she's feeling, and if you can get her to, like, but she's but she's been given all those names and all of those things. That's great. And I f- I feel like schools. Um, really do try and take care of the kids' mental health. Like they, I mean, they didn't give a shit when we were kids. Yeah, I know. I know. They didn't, as, a, as long that as we, wasn't a language. No, as long as we weren't fighting. Right, that wasn't even a language like five, six years ago. Like they, I remember they brought a counselor in for me in grade four, but that was because I smashed another kid's head into the floor mm-hmm. repeatedly. Um, you said you know you suffered from depression from since you were a little a little boy. Yeah. Um. And, you know, you've gone through some, some dark trips going through drugs and stuff like that through mm-hmm. it um, to deal with it. But how do you deal with it now? Like, what are, what are the things that help you now? Oh, my goodness. Uh, I have quite the regimen now. Yeah? To Tell ma- me about to it. To maintain. I, I get up at 4 o'clock every morning, and I meditate for 20 minutes, and I mm. and I do cardio for 40. 
but yeah, like I used to fall asleep. I'd be falling, have fallen asleep on my way into work because mm-hmm. I just roll out of bed at six and jump in the car, right? But so that's something that I've had to get myself in a decent mindset before I get out the door. So there's not, I, otherwise I can't get out the door, Herman, when it comes right down to it. Yeah. And I, I go to therapy once a week, mm-hmm. which I get since we're on a podcast, I should say from Alberta mental health. Awesome. And I know a lot of people talk about how, um, the system is horrible and broken, but I haven't found that. Like you walk into Alberta mental health with an addiction problem or any psychological problem and they will get you in quickly to see a counselor. I mean, you're not going to be seeing a psychiatrist right away or anything, but they will get you somebody, but they, you will see somebody and, and it's not like they take offense if you don't like them. Yeah. You know, if, if there's not a good dynamic there, they don't want to be your therapist either. So you just need to tell them that you need a different one and you can keep going through it. And and yeah, it's a lot of trial and error. It's a lot of trial and error. I'm so happy that you said that because it is trial and error. hundred percent. Absolutely. It's it's trial and error with, with therapists. It's trial and error when, when you go on medication, which is a hard road because you end up, you know, getting crappy side effects. Some people luck out and the first, antidepressant they try works but more often than not you're going to go through three or four and there's going to be you're going to have to take it for three months before you know if it's been effective or not Mm -hmm, and there's mm -hmm. a lot a lot of patience and barreling through just getting through involved but uh, life improves i think when when i say specifically like hey go go see a therapist go see a counselor like um i think they immediately think this is going to be like this miracle cure and and everything will be will be good and happy Mm. um but it's it is a trial and error process and especially for therapists and yeah. i think like you really need to find a therapist that that suits you and that helps you mm-hmm. um and sometimes you need to like match with that person just like how you match with a doctor absolutely so it is definitely a, a trial and error process um i'm so happy that that i hear that the system has worked for you um well and i think it works for a lot of people but yeah. you know it's the people that fall through the cracks that are the most tragic but, I mean, people it's working for aren't out screaming about how it's working for them. Totally. Right? Totally. I mean, it's, it's, only, it's only when something screws up that you're going to be really mad and you're, and, but you're, you're going to stop giving it a chance. Exactly. And it's a crutch. Right? right? And because you've had one bad experience doesn't mean you shouldn't go back. I mean, Alberta Mental Health is free. Yeah, you could go somewhere and pay $150 an hour. And, you know, go see a doctor of psychology or whatever. And if you've got the money to do that, that's fantastic. But you go to Alberta Mental Health and it doesn't cost you anything. Yeah, totally. And that's a huge thing because I know I don't have money for therapy. Yeah. But, yeah. I, you know, I, and I lucked out the first one that I, that I saw this time, this time around. It's not my first time going to counseling. I've been in and out a lot in my whole life. But um, I lucked out. The first lady I saw, we kind of clicked. She was... She's an RN before she was an addictions counselor. And so she comes at it, comes at things from a scientific as well as a psychological approach and leaving room for spirituality in there as well, which it was something that I really needed. And she was a perfect fit right off the hop, which I don't know. I don't know how often that happens. Because no. Yeah. I'm pro- sure it prob- doesn't happen probably that not, often. Probably not very often. Yeah. But, and yeah. And it's interesting because when, especially when I hear your podcast and especially with the stuff you talk about, spiritualities is important for you. Absolutely. 
can you talk to me about the what what kind of spiritual what kind of methods or ways that you use spirituality to help you with um to cope with the stuff like depression or anxiety or mental health my brain gets very black and white i'm a very black and white thinker and so i'm either all in or all out right and so when i start getting down i start thinking it's all hooey and i'm just fooling myself when i'm up even if it is hooey i don't care because it's making me feel better exactly yeah right when it comes right and but as i start feeling worse i start picking my life apart you know the parts that aren't ringing true for me and i and I, I decide that my whole world is a lie and to be honest like i i'm i'm in the middle of a pretty deep depression right now it's been really tough for me um to get out the door lately like i've been cut back to part-time at work mm-hmm. because of uh rampant anxiety attacks i was having to leave work early and stuff so it was better just to cut the hours back i'm only working two or three days a week right now mm-hmm. which doesn't do well on the pocketbook mm-hmm. i have an amazing i work for an amazing guy he's a contractor and uh he is fine with pretty much anything that i do as long as i'm taking care of myself that's super special <laughs> yeah he, he wasn't so cool as me taking off every other day early fair <laughs> absolutely fair so this was the compromise that we came to was that i was just gonna work less and actually make the day out yeah, and I think that's great. Like yeah. to even have a compromise, um, and to even say like, "Hey, look, this is something that I need for for my own mental health." Yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of listeners out there that that may be feeling the same way. And I think for them to hear that, you know, the system has worked for you, and for you to just say like, "There's some free stuff that you can do," and like, actually, you know what? Talk to me about med- meditation because to me, that's one of the things I'm trying out for myself as oh. much as I can, and and it's and it has helped to be aware. But I want to mm-hmm. hear your experience on it. Meditation at first is one of the most frustrating things you will ever do. <laughs> I'm finding out. <laughs> at, at first, it's frustrating as all hell because I think everyone goes into meditation thinking that somehow they're going to accomplish this place of stillness where they're not thinking. And it doesn't matter how many times in a guided meditation they tell you, if you notice a thought, just let it go. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, the thoughts mm-hmm. are natural. You still beat yourself up every time you like go off a little bit onto some tangent and uh so yeah like the first probably 15 days i went 70 days in a row towards the end of the second month it really started to click finally um it's not being in total stillness it really is just not judging yourself and i i find guided meditations to be the best ones for me there's Mm -hmm. the killer app called the insight timer insight timer insight timer okay it's on all platforms okay it's free it times you it tracks you they've got all kinds of guided meditations awesome it's i recommend it to everyone okay and they they don't pay me and i I really (laughs) hope they do insight timer you owe me i've got you so many people you owe me some money there you go insight timer give me give me a shout give me a shout (laughs) i really find that if I don't meditate, I have a lot more trouble pulling back, like especially from the anxiety. Mm-hmm. Like one of, one of the keys to controlling an anxiety attack is being being able to take that step back and being able to go, okay, this is what I'm feeling. You, like you notice the small things. It's it's mindful practice, really. Yeah. Is you notice the small things. You know, I'm I'm okay. I'm sweating. I'm short of breath. My heart's hammering. I my flight response is kicked in. 
but there's no reason for it. And when you come back to the breath, like they'd always talk about in meditation, right. just coming back to the breath is helps immensely yeah. with the anxiety attacks. And I, I get it didn't at first. It's that's there's a reason they call it a practice. Because yeah, like I said, I'm trying this. I'm trying it too, and I'm. I, you're right. It is kind of frustrating at the start where you're like, where you kind of judge yourself. You're like, yes. oh, I just like I, I'm stuck again. And then, yeah, oh man, oh, why do I keep thinking about work? Well, because <laughs> you're getting ready to go to work, and it's not. And and once once you actually start just noticing those thoughts, like I mean, when they say it in the guided meditations, at first you're like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and a lot of them are really foofy and and. <laughs> And you're, and you're like, oh, like, I could not do affirmation ones at first. Oh, really? You are beautiful. <laughs> I, I am one with the universe. And they were just so goofy. And I was like, I don't know if I can do this. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm a big manly man. This is weird. <laughs> I don't know. I actually find the affirmation ones to work really, really? Well, really well now. <laughs> yeah. I do a lot of eating my own foot. Since I uh, started working on myself, it's funny. I, I I'll admit myself too. Like there's many times where, you know, like my fiance's challenged me on things, and I'm like, yeah, you're right. I I messed that. And again, foot in the mouth, foot in yeah. the mouth disease. Like foot in mouth disease. <laughs> yeah. Like I, you're right. I got to be better. And the more you work on yourself, the more you realize there's a lot of internal things where you're like no this is this is on me like, well and you know when i have this wonderful wife that allows me to take things back as long as i do it quickly enough she'll just give me a look just cock her head a little bit and i'm like oh <laughs> you know i think about what i just said okay maybe no can i take that back i'll go and she's like yes please rephrase <laughs> like seriously i'm one of the most patient women on the planet i don't know how she deals with me that's awesome but yeah i mean when you first when you first start working on yourself and realize all all of the shit that you've put on yourself over the years that you have put on yourself that society has put on you like you automatically laugh at a pussy joke I'm sorry I used that word, but no, use it because it is. This is a, this is part of the conversation, right? Absolutely. I mean, automatically. Be and for me, it was because you're supposed to laugh, right? And it didn't matter how offended I was. Like I was raised by women. My my mom has a wife, and those misogynist jokes never made me happy. But yet I was an oil field welder, so you I get did. to play the part, right? Oh shit, yeah, yeah. You got to laugh at it, and towards the end, I couldn't do it anymore. You know, I started, and luckily for me, I look like I do, so I can get away with a lot more than some other people can. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I I forget sometimes that when I've got a nasty look on my face that I may look a little scary with my big long beard and my shave sides of my head and whatnot. <laughs> but yeah, like I, like I've I've been painting my nails for years, and you know, a skinny little eighteen year old kid's probably not going to get away with that, but yeah. I didn't have too many guys say anything. They just kind of look at it funny, and I'd be like, "What? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I, I full on come at me, bro. Yeah, yeah. I had that attitude. Up, like, yeah, and I'm trying so, and now, and now it's just automatic, right? You just react that way. It's yeah. got some guy who looks at you a little bit too long, and I, of, of course, that comes from my lifestyle and the and the drug world as well, right? I mean, you had to you had to be ready at all times and. Ready. It's a little paranoid, right? Yeah. 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 Yeah, the paranoia still kicks in sometimes when I get too anxious. 
does the did this play a part a lot into um their depression and anxiety about playing this part of this masculine this masculine ideal well sure it helped because uh i i felt like if, if i could convince everyone else that i was tough then i must be but i also didn't think that everyone else was laying awake at night analyzing their days and trying to figure out like i Every day I'd had have regrets. I could, I never slept. I'd sleep like two or three hours a night tops mm-hmm. as I was drinking. And that's just starting to even out now. But that I got from cannabis oil. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I don't know. It was really weird because I had actually quit smoking pot for years. And, and then I got my, got prescribed it by the doctor and I, I couldn't believe it. Right, right. I I remember you very specifically talking about this um, when we had our conversation mm-hmm. about, and you mentioned back then that that's helped you a ton. Oh yeah, and it's, it's, I'm assuming it still does. Yeah, well, I I have actually found that I can reset my sleep cycle with it, so I get periodic insomnia now. It's mm-hmm. I, it's not I'm I'm not going weeks on end getting an hour of sleep a night like I used to. If I go two or three nights. Where I'm, when I only get a couple of hours, I'll pull out my bottle of cannabis oil. I'll take it for three to five nights, just depending on how bad it's been, and then I stop, and I'm good for like six weeks. Right. I'll sleep eight hours a night. I get to sleep on time, all as well. Uh, of course, a lot of that's getting up at four a.m. Yeah, <laughs> and doing the cardio and the meditation and the meditation. And and yeah, yeah. You say, are you working as a as a trainsman right now? Correct. I am. Yeah. Is there a time when you had to? Because um, you know, you you say you don't like hearing those um, those specific jokes, and mm-hmm. uh, have it, it's time where you had to call someone out because of that. I I did actually on my last hitch up north. There was actually there was a few days in a row, and. A lot of that was uh, my my patience was very thin, mostly because I couldn't take my cannabis with me <laughs> when I went to camp, right? I was having a fake piss test just so I could go to work. And what would happen is when I can't, when I, when I don't have the cannabis is I, I have to go on two other anti-anxiety meds as well as painkillers because I have arthritis in my hands and my elbows. And so... I think there was a combination of working too in in too hot and well, I actually snapped on a guy in the smoke pit. Well, he had made some ridiculously misogynist. It was a rape joke. Oh, okay, yeah. You have to be really careful about how aggressive you are on those sites or you'll just get banned. Yeah. But uh I I was very aggressive and I just met his bullshit was my own when it came right down to it. I flicked my cigarette at his face. Mm. And it just called him out basically. I was like, you think rape's funny? Like that's, that's a fucking joke to you. And we ended up like getting guys in between us cause they thought we were going to fight. fight. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and my boss, it's like, you know, when our super, our super was saying, well, it was, he, he was just cracking a joke from what I hear. And I, I was like, do you have a daughter or a wife or a mother? Yeah, nobody was taking it when it came right down to it. They were like, no, he was, like, the guy was just joking around. You were way out of line. Hmm. Hmm. It was really what happened there. Now, if I had been smart about it, and th- the next day, I was a little smarter about it okay. with, with another guy. Okay. Um, when there, there was about six of us standing around, and he told, this one wasn't a rape joke, so I 
didn't have to lose my mind and have to i didn't have i didn't choose to lose my mind <laughs> <laughs> let's get that therapist talking properly <laughs> sure your wife was proud of that one <laughs> yeah um and basically i told the joke and i just stared at him two guys were kind of half-heartedly laughing and i was standing there staring at him and he kind of looked at me and i went it's not funny and i just turned around and walked away and i think that's the best way to handle it mm-hmm. and one of the best ways to handle it you know just let people know that they can't tell jokes like that around you right you know right um point out how ludicrous they are you know, like one of, one of the m- most aha moments that I've had in my marriage was uh, when I was calling somebody a pussy one day, not thinking it was a big deal. Yeah. It's just a word that gets tossed around in trades. And uh, she said to me, why is it that every insult that men have for each other has something to do with a woman? And I said, well, that's not true. There's, and there's, um, well, the, Holy fuck, that's true. And she said, well, it's not everyone. You guys are either calling each other women or faggots, which like, where, where did that come from? Cause I love women Mm -hmm. and frankly, I kind of like pussies. (laughs) I'm, I'm a straight man. Yeah. Like where, where did this come from? There's a lot of psychology around it and there's a lot of, um, you know, people study this a lot. Mm -hmm. It's really, it's fascinating what, what you find one of our old guests and i'm sure you've heard about this um he was talking about the perceived manhood theory and he said that's something that really opened up his eyes um perceived manhood theory in a nutshell is basically saying that um if you as a man manhood is always on this tittering edge like they don't like you never really have a full grasp on it um until someone and someone's always questioning you around your manhood so it's always kind of in this mode where you're about to lose it and people are trying to like knock you off that that manhood pedestal and the worst insult you can give somebody to a man is that you're not a man and what could be not a man is a woman or could be a gay person or could be that and that theory like to me, it really opened up my eyes to a lot of different things. And for him, it really opened up his eyes for a lot of things. Um, and just how men, men treat each other uh, in specific instances. And like I said, I, this is not all men. I'm, there's, a, no. there's a lot of different men out there that are, that are fantastic people. Um, you know, I, I find them on this podcast and I find you as a fantastic person too. So I'm like, this is, there's so many guys out there that just that want to be better, but they, they don't either have the language to do so or they're fearful of this perceived manhood. That oh, it's they... a scary thing, man. Yeah. It really is. Um, I, like, I went from being a biker to a hippie in about six years. <laughs> you know? Uh, like, I used to run around with some gnarly dudes. And now I go to transformational music festivals. <laughs> and I meditate every morning. And, like, it, like what a fucking dichotomy i look about the same (laughs) it's it's, it's just the mohawk turned into a man bun (laughs) this is perfect it's it's funny because i was like i was showing your picture to my fiance and she's like oh she's alan's coming over to record and he's like okay i don't know the guy show me a picture and he looked and he's like 
are you sure he's fine? I'm like, he is this <laughs> one of the sweetest <laughs> men around. He'll be fine. Don't worry about it. Got all my skull tattoos. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and... um, where... Where were you the happiest, though? Like, do you feel that your your happiness changed from turning into from this biker person to now the the person that you are? I was miserable. I, I was I was on an active mission to kill myself. You know, I would put myself in in situations that I thought I couldn't get out of, and somehow come out on top. And I'd be pissed off because when it came right down to it, I was suicidal for a good decade and a half. Like. Not sui- I guess not suicidal. It was just that I didn't care if I died and was quite ready to. It made me... So I took horrible risks, honestly thinking that I wouldn't come out of it. And there, and there were times, like, I remember just shaking my head, wondering why the fuck I was still alive. Why am I sitting here drinking whiskey and doing coke? <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I tried to overdose... At one point, I, I I did enough cocaine that night to kill a horse, and I don't know why. I woke up that next morning, but you know, I I OD'd. I had froth on in the corners of my mouth. I had blood all over the front of my clothes. I had OD'd and gone into convulsions that night, but I woke up. At, at, it was at that point that it kind of reignited my my spirituality. <clears throat> that part of your your spirituality, I think, is the it's really cool. And, and you know, like I'm not not a religious person either um but i do know a lot of religious people and you're right like that part of contentment i think is like i think that's you're right that's the path that everyone's looking for and i think yeah. once you lose that path it's it becomes a little dicey for you and it becomes a little bit hard for you and i think that that could happen to any people anybody oh, from any denomination so it's tough yeah <laughs> it well and, tough. And, I, and i don't think atheists are going are going to hell or no, anything either. Right. like i mean i'm not christian so i don't believe in hell when it comes to it, I I subscribe to uh, to pagan faiths. I really, it's it's a faith base of my own design. I, I take pieces. I I I have a lot of shaman friends that are that are practicing shamans, and so I we go to journey circles. And um, but I I ascribe to the Celtic pantheon. Mm-hmm. I I think I was just I was more attracted to the Celtic pantheon. Uh, just because of my heritage, if it sounds right, yeah, go with it. If it makes you feel good, do it. Yeah, exactly. as long as you're not hurting somebody else. Your podcast, um, the Featherstone, uh, really cool. I love that you kind of um, go out there with different types of guests. You know, when you listen yeah. to podcasts and stuff like that, you're like, I'm hearing the same type of people over and over again. But mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm glad that you're going out there and trying to grab some people that. Uh, maybe these voices are not as heard as um, as much as, as the other ones. I love hearing people's stories. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. So, and I, I honestly, I just I love hearing people's stories. That was one of the things I loved about drinking. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd get half cut and make a new friend, mm-hmm. and get somebody's story and just be fascinated. And I remember thinking, man, it'd be cool if you could just record this. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's how like most podcast starts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if if only if only we could record this conversation, <laughs> but and we least... have the technology. <laughs> that's great. Um, that's it. it kind of remind me when you're saying that, like, hey, this was something that I did that was that wasn't the best, like like my alcoholic nature, but there was something good about it that I wanted to capture. Sure, and you're capturing it in a very now in a healthy way, and you're 
talking to people that are very interesting and very um like i said just different voices that you don't yeah. get to hear a lot um which is great and and i think this is a good lesson for a lot of people just to to understand what is the good and what is the bad of something of specific something like an addiction mm-hmm. um and to see what is the thing that's actually bringing me back um but then just take that positive and just apply it somewhere else and I think right. that's what you're doing. Do you agree yeah. or not? Yeah. Yeah. I never really thought about it that way, but you're right. It's really weird being on the other side, let me tell you. <laughs> being interviewed? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I And I try not to interview people. I really like the conversations to go. Like, I'll have talking points written down. Right. Just for if you have those moments where you sit and staring at each other for a second, and then I can go, oh, what about this? Yeah. But uh, <laughs> it's really free form. Like, I'm... As I'm sure you you've seen, my podcast will be anywhere from 45 minutes to three hours, right? Exactly. You know, just depending on if the conversation is flowing well or not. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I and I absolutely love doing it. All I did before Herman was drink and do drugs. Mm-hmm. That was that was my leisure time. Mm-hmm. So I also feel like doing my podcast being on my social media pages as much as I am contributes to my recovery Yeah, every day. You know, when I'm having a really shit week and I've got a podcast scheduled, that's the one thing that I'm going to, I'm going to make myself go out of the house to do. Like if I can get out of going to work, I will. I'm doing a lot better at that (laughs) since, since I only have to work three days a week. But, uh, but, I would make sure I went and did my podcast because I just, I love it mm-hmm. and I'm, and I, I will keep doing it in perpetuity. Yeah. I, I have plans for new ones. I awesome. there, there will be more. Awesome. There will be more. That's great. That's great. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy that you're, you keep doing this. Uh, it's a cool, it's a cool little podcast. Um, it's not little, it's pretty good actually. <laughs> um, Last question. I always ask this question to all my guests. Um, oh, don't do it, Herman. <laughs> I knew it was coming. I, I have to. I have to. This is always part of it. Okay. What is the one piece of advice that you've taken for yourself or maybe something that you wanted to give out to other guys? I was awake half the night last night thinking about an answer <laughs> to this question, Herman, because I knew it was coming. I think that the best advice that I have for other men is to find out who you are. It's really easy to say be yourself, but when you have so many layers of bullshit and you are constantly used to wearing that mask, you lose touch of who you really are. And it's not an easy road to find it, but it's worth it. See, that wasn't so bad. (laughs) (laughs) Only took me five hours to come up with it. <laughs> Alan, where where can people find your podcast? Oh, you can find the Featherstone podcast anywhere you find fine podcasts on iTunes, Stitcher, uh, Google Play, uh, iHeartRadio now, mm-hmm. and you can find my. I'm on Facebook at the Featherstone Podcast, yep. uh, Twitter. I'm at the Feather Pod. And on Instagram, I am at the Featherstone himself. Yes. And I am prolific on Instagram and Facebook. I'm still trying to figure out Twitter. I, you know, I love having a conversation with you about these kind of things. And, like, it's really eye-opening. And just, like, I think it's a breath of fresh air. I love that you do. Thank yeah. you so much for having me, Herman. Yeah. That's our show for today. You can check out Alan's podcast, The Featherstone, 
on iTunes, on, on Stitcher, and on iHeartRadio. I'll put up the links on the website so you can take a look at them. You can also find him on Instagram at TheFeatherStone himself and on Twitter at TheFeatherPod. If you want to support the Modern Manhood Podcast, check out the Patreon page at patreon.com slash modernmanpod. And if you want to hear past episodes, check out iTunes or wherever you're hearing this right now. You can always reach me on Twitter and Instagram at modernmanpod or via email at modernmanhoodpodcast at gmail.com. Have a great week, everyone, and we'll see you next time on the Modern Manhood Podcast.